the absolute strength of a grip grip test is different than the strength endurance portion of being able to hang and being able to kind of like relax into certain things. Um, but both are really necessary and they're the kind of opposite ends of that continuum. But you think of, you know, 95% of sports, you need your body to be very relaxed and a relaxed body is then able to, you know, produce higher amounts of force and absorb higher amounts of force than one that's pretensed. That was Alex Lee, and you're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. If you're in the world of sports performance, you've probably heard of jump testing mats. These mats use hang time to measure total jump height or contact time to measure quickness abilities off of the ground. The best jump mat that I've come across also happens to be a sponsor of this show, which is the Plyo Mat. The Plyomat is not only accurate, easy to use, and affordable, but it also allows you to string multiple mats together to add an extra dynamic to plyometric testing and training. To check out the Plyomat, you can head to plyomat.net. That's P-L-Y-O-M-A-T dot net. Today's podcast is sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is an online software for coaches and trainers, and I've continued to hear great things about the Team Builder platform. If you're looking for either an in-house training portal for your training groups or an online training hub, be sure to check out the Team Builder training software. Welcome to another episode of the podcast, and it's great to have you here. I'm excited to welcome back guest Alex Lee to the show. He's the owner of Circadian Chiropractic and Sport in Sarasota, Florida. Alex is a former Division I baseball player who went through injuries in his time as a college athlete. It was through that injury where in working with Tommy John, and this was the focus of the last podcast we all did together, me, him, and Tommy in a coffee shop in Berkeley, where Alex went through an intensive bodyweight-oriented training program that really was focused on the efficiency, the neurological efficiency of his body, things like high repetition or long-duration isometrics. And through that, Alex was able to return to his original form and then some. He went on to play semi-pro baseball in Europe and Australia. He ended up coaching baseball going to chiropractic school, and now he owns his own facility where he works with individuals on both a human performance and strength level as well as a chiropractic care level. Isometric training and long hold training is certainly an interesting topic. I've had many discussions throughout this podcast, and Alex offers an awesome perspective on it all. Uh, Amongst other things, Alex can hang from a bar for over five minutes. He has a lot of really interesting, intuitive, and informative thoughts on the topic of bodyweight training, isometric holds. And so we'll be getting into that on many aspects and levels today. And this is a wonderful episode for understanding body weight, isometric, and then some of that long duration hold-based training and how it fits into a complete human performance program. I'm excited to get this episode to you. So let's get on with episode 385 with Alex Lee. One of the things that has blown me away just with your work, uh, your own physical practice, is I think your record, and I know you wrote the article on the hangs uh, for the website, the Just Fly website a while ago, very popular. And I think your record was like 540 or something with a dead hang. I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. crazy. Like what, I mean, did you do like a five minute hang before we started this or <laughs> just yeah. to warm up? Yeah. So th- this morning I did, and it was kind of a beast this morning, to be honest. Um, I, I feel like I hang better later in the day. I'm not sure why my hands just feel a little bit more kind of ready to go later in the afternoon. But what I really like doing with hangs is uh, just kind of having as much sensory input as possible coming from the environment being like down. So 
Um, you know, I've been hanging at like seven, seven thirty at night when the sun's either on its way down or down. And then when I'm hanging, I'm just, I'm closing my eyes and I'm just trying to breathe as slowly as I possibly can. So, I mean, when I think of hanging and kind of where, you know, my practice has kind of gotten to now, it's that, you know, it's anybody can meditate laying on a, on a floor in a living room with an eye mask on, but it's, Hmm. it's really, it's really something else to voluntarily step into what you know is about to be like a simulated, very sketchy experience, which is like, hang on for your dear life from something by your hands. And also don't panic. So I've taken enough people through, you know, our assessment and I've seen enough people just, you know, go through hanging and let's just say like somebody has 90 seconds in the tank and they get to a minute when it starts to get tough. You'll, you'll really see, you'll really see like the deeper layers of somebody's psychology and their grit and their, their soul and their spirit start to come out when, you know, it gets tough and they want to just drop. Or they go to like shallow panicked breathing through the mouth or, you know, they start to convince themselves that something's actually a lot diff- more difficult than it really is. You know, I, I think we've all heard the, you know, with some of the ISOs and the holds that, you know, when things start to fatigue and really you think you're done, you've really got like an extra minute left. I don't know what that number actually is. But for me, I'd like to really see how far I can push whatever that limit is. You know, like this morning I looked at the timer when it started to feel like it was difficult and it was like a minute 45. And then, so I had three minutes and 15 seconds after that of, you know, pretty, pretty intense work, but then you, you can breathe through it and realize that things are just a certain sensation, you know, just because you're feeling something in in a moment doesn't mean you're still going to feel that kind of going forward. And what I start to feel after hanging is a, a big reason why I like to do it. I mean, obviously like from a, a physical standpoint, you get the forearm pump, you get, you get a lot of things that just feel nice, but then, you know, from like a psychological standpoint and, and an emotional standpoint, it, it feels like you kind of flush the toilet on your brain and get a lot of the, get a lot of the nonsense out. And then, yeah, psychologically, I just feel ready to go with, with whatever it is. So, yeah, I mean, naturally hanging before I do this is going to be something that's going to get me in a mindset of being able to have more coherent thoughts and be able to share something that might actually make sense to somebody somewhere in the world. So, yeah, I, I do like the idea of, you mentioned this, like looking at holds. And I think that the hang is probably the easiest one because you can't, like there's nowhere to go. Like if it's like a can't, lunge, can't you, could, cheat. Yeah, yeah. you could wiggle a little bit. Some people like yeah. try to cheat forward with their torso or whatever. The hang, you, you got nothing. And so what is interesting, like you said, like focusing on the breathing and breath. I, I bought, I think it was four years ago. And it's sad that I cannot remember the name of this thing. I thought it was so cool mm-hmm. at the time. It's just like a little commercial grade. And because it's commercial grade, I'm curious how accurate it is compared to the actual like thing you'd probably have for research or in a hospital or something. But it's like a little electroencephalogram, like little band you wear around your head and it tracks oh, wow. your brain waves for your meditation. <laughs> and it, it was really interesting, you know, just because I think we, well, one, the technology exists, so why not get the external feedback? And sure. I, I and it was really it was really interesting to me and I and I also like the little heart math sensor that tracks your mm-hmm. HRV real time and how you breathe impacts your HRV real time which I find really and I it's like because I didn't figure that out with the heart math for months like I could not I'd be like I'm trying to relax and my you know coherence score is just like terrible it's in the gutter sure. and then I finally figured out. I, I don't know if they they probably tell you this somewhere. I just I just rushed in and didn't pay enough attention or something. But the more like like box breathing, it's four 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 or whatever. As long as your mm-hmm. breathing is in sync, 
that helps the HRV, the heart coherence score. And I finally figured that out one day. I was like, oh, it's so easy to get a good score now. But it was just so cool that that is linked up. They're not measuring your breathing, that that little meter, it goes on your ear. It's measuring like real-time like HRV type values. And mm-hmm. so that was that was really cool. But I'll, what I'm trying to say is I like like thinking of those the the isometric is also real-time feedback as to your you could say your as a meditative practice as an ability to control your breathing and your inner state appropriately i have always found that i can go longer on the hang or whatever it is when those states are well controlled but it's just it is so interesting how we don't and again i think that someone could do isos and get a a very very large amount of benefit without being told those things you you could still get a ton out of it for sure and i think Mm -hmm. That's what most most people just see. All right, here's an here's a cool exercise. Athletes do this exercise, <laughs> yeah. but that is uh, the whole other world or the inner world or the the inner game. I just had a podcast release on that topic. I think we often it's not our tendency to look at the inner game. And no, and, and yeah, sorry, go ahead. Keep going. No, that I was just going to leave it off there. Is that I just think that you, I'm glad that you brought that up because that the whole the hang is so inherently inner game. You can't do it. For long without that being coming a part of it. Correct. So a, a few things. I guess the simplest thing with any of the ISOs is just, you know, pick a pick an athletic position and then load it. That's that's like the root of what it comes down to. Um, but I, I kind of came up with this equation a while ago. And it's just I was trying to figure out how to explain, I don't know, the the benefit of ISOs, but it's it's basically neurological efficiency equals coordination multiplied by time. So how neuro from a neuromuscular standpoint, mm-hmm. how efficient can you possibly be? And that would be measured by how long you can stay in a position multiplied by how long you can keep that position like perfect. So um for whatever that means for people, that's just kind of the way that I've I've kind of tried to break it down. But um yeah, I mean it's it's all inner game, right? Like it's Let's just say you have, you know, three minutes that you know is your absolute like max. Obviously, it's going to get tough at two, um, and that becomes the inner game of how how can you handle that final minute. Um, you know, you, I, I've I've read inner game of tennis, inner game of golf. I love those those books, like the concepts of of self one versus self two, and then you know, performance equals your potential minus your ability to get out of your own way. So um, the the interference part, which is like the self one. Uh, part of the brain that's just going to try to self-sabotage and correct things and consciously tell you how to do things. Um, I look at that and, and just think of me being able to hang on the bar uh, is is purely just me being able to get out of my own way and get up there and, and hang on and breathe. Um, I'll do the grip strength with a dynamometer. I'll check it mm-hmm. several times throughout the day just because we check it with all of our all of our practice members. And uh, you know, I, I see consistently I'm normally within like 10% of like my baseline, I'll either be like five, 10 pounds higher, or five or 10 pounds lower. So really what that kind of tells me, and especially once I kind of get moving and get, you know, a couple minutes into training, it'll always spike and go up. But what that's telling me and what I'm trying to measure is like, am I physically exhausted? Or is this just me kind of like psychologically being a little bit more tired right now than, than I really physically am. Um, so when you see like the psychological fatigue start to kick in that's where um you know i think me being able to just get up there and hang 
and, and get away from that. Because if you think of what psychological fatigue is, it's really just yourself getting in the way of what you physically could do. So I, I always think that the ISOs are just a really, really good test with that. Um, and there's, you know, it's, it's really as simple as, as it can get, you know, there's no, there's no real barrier to doing them. As long as you have your body with you, you can do them. And, you know, as <laughs> you've got your body with you at all times. So, um, there's really no, no reason that people can't start with something as simple as that. And as simple as just, you know, basic body weight type style movements before progressing into loading things and, and calling in externals. Yeah. I was going to say too, with the, well, just quickly before I ask the next question, and I know I've done a few podcasts talking about the breathing paces. One I did with Brady Vollmering a while ago. I, Mm -hmm. I feel like he went into that at some depth and I know there's a variety of ways. I think the Jay Schrader classic is nose breathing eight seconds Mm -hmm. in, or sorry, four seconds in, eight seconds out, but you could probably do any multiple of that. So, so just, yeah. and, And that is the thing too, where it's, I think a lot of times it, it really is an epitome of letting versus forcing where mm-hmm. if you just get up there and you don't pay attention to your breathing and you're like, I'm just going to hang on as long as I can. Like the, I, like yeah. the try, you could call the try hard or the, you know, I'm just going to go all or the young, the all like, you know, the, the, all the hard energy versus mm-hmm. the soft side, the yin where like, I will breathe and let my body find a way to do this, or I will let the pain sensation just out. Um, it's there i can feel it or or whatever you know i'm just curious how you approach that the breathing first and then anything else uh, along those lines um yeah so first couple seconds will just kind of be like getting calibrated on there and seeing what my grip feels like and then i'll i'll get into to breath after that but with you saying like the all out you know all muscular contraction type stuff i mean that's that's great if you're trying to one rep max stuff if you're trying Mm -hmm. to you know really just like empty the tank with that but I think where this becomes, you know, where there's carryover into sport that you don't necessarily see with a lot of Olympic lifting that you do see with ISOs is that you need to learn how to hold tension in the correct areas and then not have tension Mm -hmm. in areas that don't matter. So better example would actually be like the lunge, um, you know, falling into a lunge. If you see somebody with a lot of excessive tension in their face, um, shoulders, hands, like just trying to like really like grip onto something that's not there rather than being able to, you know, like Pavel says, like relax into the stretch, not that, you know, muscles stretch, but, um, you know, to be able to relax into the position necessarily through breath. Um, and then also kind of combining some of, somebody mentioned Charles Atlas to me recently, like the dynamic tension model, um, like being able to find that groove of being able to, to pull yourself into the position and only use what's necessary within that. So not like, you know, with hanging, I mean, you wouldn't necessarily see somebody with a ton of extra tension in their legs, but you definitely see it in their face. So, you know, like I can be near, you know, 10 out of 10, like exertion, but my face is still calm. So there's, there's that. And and when I see people that can start to relax their face and start to relax just things back into their breath, then, you know, all of a sudden a a two minute hang turns into two and a half or two forty five or three. Um, so it's, and that opens the door to a lot of other things, right? Because once you can break mm-hmm. through a barrier in something quickly, um, you, you realize that, you know, a lot more actually is the mental game rather than the outer game, you know, um, to see somebody go from hanging from a minute, uh, a minute and a half to three minutes within two weeks, just because they're practicing something. Um, you don't necessarily see that with the bench press. You don't see people go from, you know, 135 for one to 225 or 
you know, 250 for one in two weeks. Like that just doesn't, doesn't really happen. So you're, you're tapping into something that's, that's there and that's dormant within all of us. Um, I wrote in the, the article that was on just fly about hanging, um, you know, there's a primitive reflex that we have from, from birth that we have right away. Um, that we're able to to hang on to something that's in our hand. So you know whether biologically that's because of us wanting to hang on to like mom's hand or you know just grab something to actually hold on, um, then that's something that's important and that we shouldn't lose. And that's where I think hanging lends to to that. So um, there's a ton of benefits, but I think if if we're just getting caught up in what the physical are, we're really missing the bigger piece, which is what you're saying. You know the inner game. You know drawing drawing that something out of somebody that's within all of us. But I think now with most people, it's, it's something that's laying dormant, you know, that, that fighting spirit and that grit that is there. And it's something as simple as, Hey, get a, get a $20 pull-up bar hanging in the door. Every time you go through it, hang on it. Yeah. Yeah. It, it really can be the easiest thing. Like the lowest barrier to entry uh, is something I've been Just thinking anchor, about man. how to, yeah. how to uh, bring out that low barrier to entry in a variety of movements. I, as you're talking about the, yeah, just that mental aspect too. It does make me think about like like it, it can be helpful at first in a program to really polarize the pieces. And if you look at the polarity, like you said, like a really heavy lift could be all the way on where where you don't have to be like, all right, I'm really gonna relax and just let my body relax into this lift. It's like no, or like a maximal overcoming isometric. That's almost like mm-hmm. the full polarity of just as yeah. much tension as possible. But on the all the way on the other side, the soft side is the hold for time because now you're and it's the beautiful thing too is with those both of those polarities it's not something you read in a textbook how to do mm-hmm. that you know i mean again yeah. it's pretty straightforward especially with i think the pull a bar as hard as you can for the most part i mean there are mental elements with that but i think there's a lot more mental strength and pieces you learn in the soft side where you have to hold for time and you have to focus on your breathing because you're you're so, sitting with it for longer but i do think it is interesting because if you're starting at those both ends and you're maybe just playing sport in the middle that's a good place to start because you get some more knowledge and wisdom on how to fill in everything else and Mm -hmm. i think that yeah that's there's been a lot that those um movements have taught me for sure over time um i did want to clarify real quick because i wrote your equation down it makes perfect sense to me by the way (laughs) but basically your ability to do the holds as uh you said it was neurological efficiency equals something times time i forget what it was the yeah i think i butchered it the first time i said it so um if we get some some captions on the bottom of this we can we can put an asterisk next to it but um neuromuscular efficiency equals coordination times time oh okay got it got it multiplied by time so um coordination would be like the ability to to stay in whatever the position is and then time would be however long you're able to hold it so Cool. Anyways, you know, I was just thinking, because you said grip strength, you had mentioned you use the grip mm-hmm. strength. And so, you were yeah. saying that you're, because I did want to go back a little bit to... We'll, we'll have guys warm up and just like play for 15 minutes. Like we had an event uh, about a month ago where we had a little workshop and had everybody just do... I mean, I talked for five minutes about the importance of why we... I have on our whiteboard written strength, feel, and play. So, everybody's got to develop all three of those when they train. And just to understand themselves, they need to understand how they're feeling. And when there's certain patterns that they're feeling, why are they feeling that way? And what have they done leading up to that? So whether it's a recovery type thing, lifestyle thing, um, strength is pretty self-explanatory, but then the play part I think is, is one of those like missing links, like the invisible 
the invisible thread of, you know, everybody talks about like building a foundation and starting at the bottom. Well, a huge part of that is, you know, what happens when you're five and six and you need to understand creativity, you know, when you're playing in a game, you know, you, you work within the confines of the, that game, but then you also take risks within it. You're like, well, I wonder if I can dribble behind my back right now. I wonder what I can. And then, and then you practice and develop that skill so that when you do play again, you can come back and, and do better with it. So, um, but with that, just to come back to the grip strength thing, we'd had guys do like hand fighting. So just like wrestling mats, trying to like mm-hmm. tap each other's knees or shoulders and, and just try to be able to take someone down, not too aggressively. Uh, mm-hmm. We ran routes in the parking lot, so just throwing footballs and we had a dunk contest and then we had guys like chipping golf balls. And then we had everybody do grip strength after and like almost everybody went up. Oh, so yeah. yeah, I mean, you can look at, I mean, that's, that's like a educated approach to it. You know, like the, the grip strength is just the quickest and easiest thing we can use to kind of measure is somebody ready. But when, you know, when you really look at somebody and you just take them through the eyeball test, it's like when they warm up and they're having fun and there's like this kind of like look on their face, it's like, okay, they're ready. And then you just confirm that with the grip test and you're like, got it. Okay, cool. Like you weren't tired when you walked in, you just hadn't, you were psychologically tired. You, you were physically ready. You just, it wasn't expressing yet. And then grip strength is the only thing we really had to measure that. So, um, yeah, that, that, that's how we use, that's how we use grip. Yeah. I was going to say with grip though, um, you had mentioned how, cause I was just thinking about this cause I'll do it throughout the day as well. And I find that in the morning, like it's usually pretty poor in the morning and then throughout mm-hmm. the day, just of its own accord, it's going to rise depending on how stressful and how loaded with work my day is, it will then start to go down again. Now, this is if I haven't done any activity. So, like, if I do nothing and I wake up, I wake up, it's pretty bad. It's about 11 o'clock or to 12. It's going to be kind of at its peak depending on how the afternoon goes. If the afternoon is a lot of work or it's more stressful, it will get worse. (laughs) If the afternoon is pretty chill, it kind of stays the same. Maybe it even gets a little better. But it's so that's so interesting to me as well just because I think about you know, you always talk about, well, you're only working out, let's say you're tra- an athlete and you're training and it's an hour of the day. Well, what are the other 23 hours? So, it is interesting to mm-hmm. see how that flows along. And then you were mentioning too, it's it's interesting to consider how long, because um, this is why the equation was interesting to me. And I'll, I'll tell you where I'm going with this, is that uh, the, I, I also think, you, I think about grip as a form of readiness, but I also think about the idea of using isometric holds as a form of readiness and understanding where you are on the day. Like I really like doing, if it's like a speed day, I like, I like doing long ISO lunges to start the speed day. Part of it, it, honestly, it tells me a little bit about how ready I am. And it is so interesting though, because I think that we like to, it's like, if it's speed, it's speed and it's nothing else. And it's like, well, mm-hmm. What if a hold could also just tell you your general readiness state? Your It could tell you mm-hmm. a level of your nervous system. It could tell you your metabolic readiness or your aerobic system's readiness to recover you from everything. You're just, your, your total systems, this is what my total system has to give right now. And mm-hmm. I, I like thinking about the ISOs in that realm. And now I will say, I don't usually, I don't like to take ISOs to fate like, five, all right, we're going to do a speed day. So grind out a five minute or sure. like today. Yeah. It's usually less, but it's more like, how hard was it to do that three minutes? Like that kind of thing. How much could you pull into that without it becoming overwhelming? Like I, mm-hmm. there is some art to that. But just that being said, I do think about like the difference between uh, like a hang and a raw grip. Uh, would you find that it's one-to-one uh, for the most part in terms of like your grip strength was X and you could ha- then correspondingly hang that long? And if not, 
what's the difference? Because I guess then the thought is, well, let's say you, the grip strength was great and your nervous system was good and charged up. Yep. But then you were able to go longer because maybe you were able to relax more. Maybe there was something else that you could do that uh, maybe, I don't know, maybe the slow twitch side was good that day. I don't know. You know sure, what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, just yeah, because yeah. I, I like to look at things not just for, I, I think we tend to make things so black and white. It's like, oh, if it's a long sure. hold, it's just endurance. Well, I do think it's more than that. So, I am curious what your take is on that from a grip strength perspective. Sure. So, reel me back in if I go too far off on this one. But um, starting with uh, just grip in general, and just to come back to what you were saying about you feel like your grip goes down if you're doing too much, you know, mental work. So one thing that that I, you know, will mention to people, especially if they're coming in and they're, you know, talking about like sleep or energy or just fatigue in general being being poor. um, And especially somebody who works at a desk and doesn't necessarily have like a labor physical job outside. Um, one thing that, that I've always come back to is that if your emotional and intellectual and like psychological stress exceeds what your physical stress is on a, on a -hmm. daily basis, then it's just going to be tough to sleep in general. Like that's when you're not physically tired for bed. Um, and you think of just laying down in bed and then your mind is still racing. Like you may physically feel tired. And I think that kind of comes back to the, the psychological fatigue part. You may feel tired, but then you actually go and try to do the thing where you sleep and recover, but your mind is still going because your body still has all this extra energy that it it hasn't really used. So that's one thing that, that I've seen for sure. Um, grip will go down if, you know, I'm, I'm just grinding it out on the computer. Got some things I got to get done. Uh, I had, I had all my taxes that I had to do last year. and, And that definitely was like a five hour morning on the computer, just like going through stuff. And I remember I went and checked my grip strength after and it's like way down and I'm, it's just cause I'm sitting there and yeah. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just using my brain, which, which sucks. Yeah. Accumulating stress so, for five hours yeah, and then you're right you to see it. That's so cool about the grip, by the way, just how that, yeah, that, that's less yeah. indicator. And like my sweat smells different. Uh, I would notice it at the end of finals week at school, I would go try to hang, you know, on the way, just jump into the gym real quick on the way out to my car. And I'd, I'd go hang on the bar and I'd get 30 seconds in and I'd be like, screw this, man. Like, I'm done. Like, I just wasn't physically, I wanted nothing to do with it. So there's that part too, where you just, you know, you get more irritable and you just don't want to, you don't necessarily want to do it. So um, coming back to your question, as far as if I see a correlation between grip being there, like grip strength being high and a hang being really good, it's, it's usually pretty close there, I'd say. Um, with that to say, I'm not necessarily sure as, uh, if somebody has good grip strength, if they're necessarily going to be able to hang well, um, because you know a lot of that has to do with their body composition and, and certain yeah. things. I mean, they could have 160 plus pound grip strength, but if they weigh 250, it's like that's like me trying to hang with a hundred pound weight vest on. You know, like there's certain things that I think everybody's built for as far as like what their their structure is. I was always somebody. You know, when I was younger, I was good at climbing the rope in gym class. I was always mm. good at like hanging and doing certain things like that. So, um, you know, this is me trying to capitalize on some of the things that, that I'm already pretty good at. And I try to hit the weak links as well. But going back to uh, the, you know, the one-to-one, if I see it kind of like that. Yeah, it's, it's pretty close, I would say. Um, and I, yeah, it just, it, it is a different trait though. Like you said, like the absolute strength of a grip, grip test is different than 
the strength endurance portion of being able to hang and being able to kind of like relax into certain things. Um, but both are really necessary and they're the kind of opposite ends of that continuum. But you think of, you know, 95% of sports, you need your body to be very relaxed and a relaxed body is then able to, you know, produce higher amounts of force and absorb higher amounts of force than one that's pretensed. So, you know, you could see somebody who's very, very strong with like an absolute strength output and have a ton of tension already in their body, but then, you know, they don't know how to get things relaxed and they're very rigid and awkward looking if they were, you know, playing some sort of sport. So, um, yeah, that's kind of, there was another thing that, that you had mentioned in there that I'm trying to, to kind of go back and remember right now, but, um, I can't for some reason. That's that's okay. Yeah. I, I, maybe I'm sure I'll probably say something that jogs your memory with that as well. You threw a four part question at me, Joel. I do that. Yeah. I I do that every now and then. Sorry about that. I probably, I had somebody, yeah. One time I think it was, uh, Miguel, uh, Aragon series. Like you just asked me like, like four or five questions or something. Yeah, No, it was, it was a really good question. And and I got what you were saying, but then that's that, that, yeah, that, uh, that, that, uh, need of mine to like, for, it's like this need for complexity. Like I said, like coaching, like, yeah, like coaching your yeah. sports, problem solving, I think for some reason that probably doesn't work very well for some of these questions. But I, I was going to say, I, I do think it is interesting sometimes, like something like a hang and mm-hmm. your grip strength isn't very good and the pain, you start to feel pain sooner. It's like, why it is, it's just so interesting because it's like, why would this pure explosive measure have anything to do with endurance? And I think about, well, maybe it's like, it's, right off the bat it's like there's less um effort you have to put in just to even stay up there in the first place maybe your nervous system can like cycle what like motor units are on or off better or something like that maybe Mm -hmm. it's just the general way you're perceiving pain it'd be interesting even to do like a lactate like how soon does your forearm start accumulating lactate when the grip is low versus when it's high and why does that Mm -hmm. matter uh so these are just things i think about that probably it's probably just comes from hanging from a bar and like th- just finding things to think about <laughs> i always think about, why, why does this hurt so early like why like it's yeah. be better today I, that's probably i put up a post yesterday that. where i wrote a pretty long caption for the first time in a while but it was about how in in 2013 i got i got into meditation doing uh they're called like progressive muscle relaxations i think it's mm. the jacobson relaxation technique where basically you, you intentionally draw a ton of tension into different body parts for like 10 to 30 seconds so yeah. like max flexing the feet and then the calves and then the quads and the glutes and then you work all the way up and then eventually max tension of everything but i did it consistently every day for a few months and uh there'd be times where i mean i'd fall asleep right after sometimes mm-hmm. even though it was like a max effort but um there'd be there'd be periods of time where i felt like i was floating above wherever i was laying so if i was just doing it on the floor I feel like I was like almost about to hit the ceiling just from how my body felt from like a, I don't know, euphoric standpoint. I'm not really sure what it was, but I started having like my dreams took a a higher level up as far as, you know, when I was asleep, I'd just be having dreams that were different than I had ever had in the past. I've always had dreams in my sleep, but they just be, they just were amplified to a more intense and vivid level. And then in 2020, when I started really hanging you know, consistently like long hangs every single day, like first three minutes and then three minutes multiple times a day and then five minutes and then getting in like the five to seven like range. I started having like the days where I would hang for five plus, I would, my dreams would be significantly Mm. more 
vivid. And I think it's from what you said, you have to think about things when you're up there. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, it's like, all right, well, what am I going to think about? And, <laughs> you know, I'd go through like my college baseball roster in my head where I'd like name each guy from my senior year, be like, okay, number one was this guy. He was born in this town. Number two mm-hmm. was this guy. He was born in this. And I'd just go through it. Cause, and then you look at the time and it's, it's wherever it is, like four minutes later, you're like, oh, okay. I just made it through something by thinking about something else. Um, or I'll have days where I just, I play with my breath. And that's the other part too, that I meant to come back to with the ISOs is that there's a lot of, there's a lot of variability with, with play within the ISOs. So you can focus on just breathing. You can focus on just pulling into position. Um, you know, you can focus on, on trying just to resist falling the whole time. There's a lot of different things that you can play with as far as different patterns of breath too. Like I've even played with just trying to, you know, hold my breath while I'm doing them. And that obviously doesn't, doesn't work super well. But um, there's just things and and, video. Yeah, breath hold, (laughs) breath hold, hang. (laughs) Tell me, yeah, I'll I'll go for that later today, and we'll see how it goes. I mean, I've seen people do the, uh, you know, the hallucinating breathing, the holotrophic, uh, and like the breath of fire, and yeah, yeah, all that, and then try to do push-ups, and they can do like way more after that without taking a breath in. Yeah, the Wim Hof. Yeah, I've I've done that. Yeah, the Wim Hof. Yeah, yeah. That one kind of baffles me. I've done. I've done some of that breathing, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's not really, uh, like I said, you know, I think meditating while hanging on a bar is more powerful than being able to just, you know, you want to be able to stay calm and meditate when someone cuts you off in traffic or, you know, on a packed subway or bus or anything like that. Otherwise to me, I don't feel like it's, it's super useful of a skill to just be able to calm yourself down in your own home, in a calm environment already on the floor. Yeah. Um, you need to be able to take that into sport. You need to be able to take that into, you know, I mean, especially with, with us talking about what we're talking about, hopefully everything that we're doing, you know, in the weight room, isn't just wasted time and effort and energy. Um, hopefully it's carrying over into to sport and performance and, and taking things to a higher level because there's more self-aware athletes that are more in tune with mind, body, soul. Yeah. They, uh, Aaron Cantor, who was on this podcast recently had mentioned something in like uh, it was, I think I had asked him a question, something to do with uh, training team sport athletes. And he had said something mm-hmm. about withholding in the sense that, and you you could make this philosophical and say, you know, doing and non-doing, you know, or, what, or mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But I think that the iso- isometrics are so much more on, you could, you could, I mean, you are doing something, but it's much more on the non-doing, the withholding, because I think so often it's always like, always be doing something. Even when I would write um, before the, isometrics became a lot bigger part of my weight training regime and they were never like the whole thing on the university level but like they became certainly a lot more but it's kind of like you have this hour of work and you fill it with stuff (laughs) you fill it with doing and the thing about i guess you could even liken this to modern life and phone addiction and dopamine addiction is it's all it's all doing and the isos is the only place really in all that that there's really nothing to do except for just hang on, you know, and, and even yeah. that, I do think that that kind of lends to, you know, not even over coaching it, like give a few pointers, you know, make sure you're not completely doing it wrong, hopefully, or, you know, you're in the bandwidth of what you should be doing. But it is, like you said, it's a time. Uh, and also to the other thing I'll loop into this is the idea and having children of my own, like that children should be bored sometimes. It's like in, oh, yeah. it's modern, in the modern era, it's like, you know, kids are hyper scheduled there's always something on the schedule 
they're always doing something or there's a dopamine, you know, maybe they're watching, they're on a screen or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I think to me, the isometrics or those types of things, and honestly, you could even put static stretching in there. I I think that could do that as well. It's not quite as active in that sense, but it is also, all that stuff to me is non-doing. And Mm -hmm. I, I think we just do, we don't think about it that way. We always think, well, what is physiologically this doing? What, what, what muscle activation, what this or what? And I, I think there's a lot of good stuff for sure. But to me, that mental side of it is really valuable. And I think that especially after, and maybe that's why I've come to like them so much, especially if it's a more stressful day, if it's been a very mentally taxing like work stress day, or you could liken it to a student having a, stress, a stressful academic day. I find the best gateway into training is 100% isometric work. Like, and I think it's just because I've just been doing all day. I don't, my brain doesn't want to do more right now. Again, I will say part of this too, though, is because I, when I train, I'm coming up with, so I'm spending willpower on what do I want to do. Sure. <laughs> and isometric is easy because, hey, just go do it, you know. And, and I know like Dan Johns talked about that a lot as well. Sure. So, I, yeah, I, I think that um, the non-doing part of it all that like just sim- that that just pure simplicity and the fact that you you were trying to figure out the numbers of your baseball players and things like that. I think there's a value there. And then the last thing I'll just say is I've found I've talked about this before, but like when you do a good ISO session, you really dial the breathing in. Uh, kind of like that heart math and heart math has they I think they have research on this on some level is that the better your heart coherence, which is this the because of your breathing being on point your mm-hmm. reaction time in sport is better. And I found that yeah. if I do good ISO work the next day, sport is just everything, it flows better. Like it, yeah. it just connects better. My reactions are better. And so I think sure. there's just, I think all, a lot of that just fits with the withholding, something that's not more non-doing, so to speak, and taking yeah. that time, you know, like kids to be bored a little bit. <laughs> not Sure, no, of course. And, and I think it's funny that we spent, you know, close to an hour now talking about something that's as simple as, well, if you just went and did it, you'd learn way more than you just learned from listening to us talk about it because mm-hmm. it, it's a lesson that everybody needs to just learn within themselves through through participating in it and doing it. So with that said, one of the things that that we changed up with what we're doing with training at my office is, you know, before we had, you know, usually somebody there making sure that people knew what they were doing. And now everything is, it's pretty much a sheet and then you do what's on the sheet. And it's your interpretation of what that is. And, you know, we have, I have videos of like instructing everything, you know, in YouTube. So, you know, they can see like what, what my interpretation of it is as far as, you know, trying to pull into certain positions and what to kind of look for, but it's pretty minimal as far as instruction. It's like, Hey, just, just go do it. Like do what you think is the correct thing to do here and, and put your intent into it. And, you know, within this time frame, it should start to get difficult. And if it doesn't, you're probably either a beast or you're just not doing something correctly. So let's, let's kind of dial it in from there. But yeah, like the self-led part has been, has been huge. Um, another thing you said about just feeling better the next day, um, just so we're kind of on the, on the right page with people that are listening and may have just jumped in as far as like what the ISOs are, the way that I kind of see it is um, we're trying to get to like the, the maximal position. If we're pulling into like the bottom of a lunge or say, let's go bottom of a pushup because people can relate to their, their arms and their chest a little bit better than their legs. Sometimes um, you're trying to pull into the bottom position and then load it as much as you possibly can at that end range. So we're trying to get to like the end range of motion. And then as we start to fatigue over time, that'll start to drop 
to even lower position and we're getting stronger at an end range, which, you know, if you're thinking about like static stretching, the goal there, my interpretation of it is that you're trying to get just the muscle to a greater range of motion. When we're adding the strength component in, which is the, the isometric and the hold or, or whatever we want to call it, we're getting stronger at that range while also using our ability to pull or the ability to fall into the position deeper to gain more strength at that end range because we're continually getting to a lower and lower position. Like a three-minute push-up, you may start here and then drop lower and lower mm. the entire three minutes. Like at one minute, you should be lower than you were when you started. At two minutes, you should be lower than you were at one. And at three at the end, you'd be like bottom position. And that's where like the equation that I kind of said, neuromuscular efficiency equals coordination times time. It's like, well, how long can you stay coordinated in that position mm. for in time? And then as you, as the time progresses, you have to coordinate an even tougher position um, because you're getting to a lower and lower spot. So with that said, one of the things that we play with as well is, you know, like a 30 second you know, primer of a movement. So just 30 second max effort, pull into the bottom of a pushup or pull into the bottom of a lunge as hard as you possibly can for 30 seconds or a minute. And then you get up at the end and you're like, damn, I feel great. Yeah. Whereas, whereas three minutes of that turns into training, like 30 seconds could be, all right, I'm going to go run out there on the field right after this and go, you know, play and, and play at a really high level because my body's primed and ready to go. Whereas that three to five minute of the exact same thing, just turns into to training and you know your overall just preparation in general so it, it i mean you, you've talked about it with like dosing certain things right like the amount the amount of how much you do something just like the volume the the load all of that just it changes what the outcome is going to be and what the adaptation ultimately is within the person who's doing it on the level of supplements lost empire herbs has been my go-to for the last five years as someone who's constantly observing nature in motion to help me understand movement better, so too do I draw from nature in my supplementation regime. If you want to check out some of my favorite supplements for energy, strength, and enhancing the total impact of your training regimen, uh, things such as Shiliagit, which has been well recommended by many strength coaches, the Phoenix Formula, which was my original Lost Empire Herbs supplement that really made me a believer in the power of herbalism, things like pine pollen, mushroom tinctures, and more, you can head to lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. There you can use the code JOEL15, that's J-O-E-L-1-5 for 15% off your order. Definitely check out Lost Empire Herbs. They're an awesome company and will really help that total aspect of your performance training process. Yeah. Yeah. I should say too, I'm glad you mentioned that with the ISO holds and I should probably mention something too, maybe briefly in the pre-roll about that. I know people who have been following the show have probably heard uh, you know, a lot of isometric sure. hold talk. Um, but this, even with the non-doing, yes, you are still pulling down to some extent. I think that <laughs> I, a hang is probably different. I mean, you could like pull your shoulder blades back or whatever. I think, you know, I- I'm sure in the original you know, Jay Schrader's system, there's probably some level of still finding a way to pull even when you're hanging. And I think that was a big part. But, you know, for me, I think I think it still is less, despite that, it's still like only one thing. It's still so simple. The, I think the simplicity leads to the, you know, the simplicity over time leads to the non-doing piece. Uh, you know, as you mentioned the uh, coordination times time, that just got me thinking of something I think is really interesting to me. Um, and it's been... I, I can I feel like I have more of an eye for this now than like ten years ago, fifteen years ago. But I'll watch uh, like the four hundred meters in track is a really cool expression of this. 
And a lot of people debate, you know, if you're doing sprint training, like how much long sprinting should you do? How much endurance should you do? You don't want to, you know, you don't want to kill that primary engine, that beast um, of like that neuromuscular power. But it's interesting because I'll watch uh, like Femke Bull is a good example. Uh, she set, I believe, the world indoor 500 meter record, which is like, uh, this is, I, I don't know 500 meter times. I'm probably going to throw something out that doesn't make any sense, but it's like, I don't, I don't know what it was, like a 103 or 105. So, I don't, yeah. So I, I, I ran, I ran the four by 400 leadoff leg in high school on our indoor track team. And then I also ran the 600 and I ran the 300 um, for events. I was hoping I was fast enough to run the 300, but I'd always get stuck in the 600. But uh, like state record time for the men was like minute 20 for the 600. Yeah. And then, and those guys would usually be sub 50 in the 400 as well. Yeah. For indoor, which is a, a 200 meter banked track. So you get a little bit like outdoor is a longer one. So you have less turns, but the turns aren't banked. So um, up to up for debate, but usually guys would be like a second faster outdoor than they would be indoor. Yeah. So a, f- a 500 would probably be somewhere, I don't know. Take 50 second and yeah. then add 12 because you're assuming the last 100 you're going to be pretty gassed yeah. so call it call it like a minute 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 two minute five yeah 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 it was the, it was the women's 500 record and i was trying to think they used to run it in the ohio athletic conference and i was trying to think i was like what was a good time anyways <laughs> it was the yeah. world record and she runs a really good 400 and 400 hurdles and anyways it's interesting to watch her at the end of the race because she does not look like she's slowing down or losing any coordination wow. in that back half. And I think part of that is her structure, the way her rib cage is put together and the related efficiency of how her body's compensated. But mm-hmm. I also can't help but think about um, just the ability to, um, like we talk about even speed endurance as it builds a specific coordination because it's coordination when your body's tired. And mm-hmm. that is a skill. And I think we sometimes generalize speed endurance as, well, just, hey, you're not very good at finishing your 200, so just go run more 300s. Well, what if after 150, you're just crap every time? So now you're just sure. running terrible one, you know, a terrible second 150 repeatedly. It'd be interesting mm-hmm. to, I think good coaches see it, but it's also, it'd be interesting to find a way to quantify, like, you know, if you just started running as fast as you could, at, like at one point, if there was some way to just like a little meter or something, on again, I, I think coaches and people should feel this you know learn to feel when you're breaking down sure. but like when did your quality when did you become discoordinated but it's you know i so i think that happens just because you start to your muscles start to burn really badly you know this yeah. is where the coordination fell off the tracks and you couldn't keep it together on a very very basic level uh, and you'll look at you'll look at uh you know you'll eyeball people breathing when they're done with a, a two and a half minute or a three minute or whatever it is um and they'll be, they'll be breathing as if they're, you know, completely out of breath, you know? So, you know, the 150 to 180 beats per minute heart rate. And they, I mean, they're not moving, right? Like air quotes, not moving. Really, it's a really, really slow eccentric contraction where they're pulling down the whole time, but they're not, they're not moving and they're getting out of breath in the same way that they would if they did, you know, two to three minutes of something that was movement-based. Um, so, that's an interesting one too, as far as just energy systems switching over at different times. So, you know, the first three to five seconds you burn out, uh, you know, what is it? ATP. And then, mm-hmm. you know, for the, the intermediate stages, you burn out another, and then, you know, at about a minute and a half energy system, energy systems turn over to more like an aerobic, um, like longer term. And that's, you know, almost to a T I can look down at a timer at a certain time during 
either a lunge or a push up that I haven't looked at before when whatever it is switches in my head to being like, okay, you're going to be doing this for a while, aren't you? Let's mm-hmm. look at what the time is. And it'll be like 142 or, or something around that minute 30 to two minute mark where it's like, okay, you're in this for a bit, aren't you? Like, what, what are we doing here, Alex? What's the plan? So um, it's cool to kind of feel that kick in. Yeah, I was going to ask you with the neuromuscular efficiency, and maybe we can just touch on this here. Is yeah. You had mentioned the newbie, like the DC current, mm-hmm. and one of the interesting things about that that really intrigues me is you can, and now not everyone listening is going to have access to this, and so I want sure. to keep this from more of a, uh, just a general understanding, mm-hmm. but like you can track how efficient someone's muscle is by putting the leads on the muscle. And you know, I, I am curious if you've noticed anything in terms of like muscle endurance ability, like ISO ability. I would be interesting for like some of these 400 runners who, again, I think they have structural advantages that help them to maintain easily. Um, sure. But I'd also be interested to see maybe what their neuromuscular efficiency is. Like if you hook them mm-hmm. up to the machine and you could turn it up so far, if they could keep coordinated in a sprint for longer. and um, I feel like I was going to say something else, but oh, the last thing, just one, I'll just say this one last thing. I've mentioned this is that Charlie Francis, the, the sprint coach of uh, the great well-known sprint coach had said he felt like a benefit of tempo sprints. So like running like seven, two hundreds at 65% that it decreased the neurological resistance in the muscle. And it's like, well, how do you test that? I think they had some more actual somewhat advanced Mm. electronic stim systems back then and good massage therapist maybe there was some feedback there because i always think things can work in reverse too potentially if you can do these workouts with a good relaxation mentally you know like i think that that could maybe reverse lead to what you're getting on the machine but anyways any thoughts on that i'm really curious what you uh your perspective is sure so now that you hit me with the six-part question uh i'll, I'll try to go backwards through it <laughs> so um the what was it that you said about Charlie Francis saying the the neurological oh, uh, yeah. threshold went down or the neurological guarding? Uh, neurological down? resistance. Yeah, he. I think his term was neurological resistance. And and going down is a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, I'm like there's to... less inhibition. Like the the muscle less inhibition. Less, yeah, right. Yeah, so exactly. you're able to tap into more. Yeah, uh, yeah, more and Correct. more easily. Yeah. Got it. Okay, so cool. So so this leads into what I was going to explain with with newbie really well. So newbie's a direct current stim machine, and basically the the first setting that that I use it with people for is to do just a basic body map and assessment. So just think of it as we're running a direct current electricity through certain muscles. Um, when the muscle feels that sensation coming from the electricity or the electrode, um, then it sends a message to the spinal cord to contract the muscle. Um, and then the response, the motor response back is a muscle contraction. So basically what we do is get everybody set up um, to like whatever their threshold is of, you know, like a subjective, maybe four or five out of 10, as far as intensity, we run it over some muscles that should be firing normally. Um, it just feels like the muscle does whatever the action of that muscle is. So if we go over the traps, shoulder will rise up towards the ear. Um, if we go over, you know, like quad, the leg's going to try to straighten out a little bit. If it's a contraction that somebody feels is more intense than just a regular contraction, but either like a Charlie horse or just like a, like a tougher sensation, um, then that is what we consider to be a hotspot. Hotspot would be like a, a neuromuscular disconnect. So like a brain body disconnect, either a muscle that's guarded or a muscle that's inhibited or a muscle that's not working to the potential that all the other muscles are. Um, so just spotting like lack of coordination between muscle and brain. 
And then once we find what those are, we're able to anchor those electrodes to those muscles and have people actively move through ranges of motion that may give them some sort of issue. So, you know, whether it's like a marching pattern, whether it's raising the arms overhead with spots on somebody's shoulder, um, we can turn the machine up to when they start to display compensation and then they'll move through whatever those protected ranges of motions are until they're fine doing it. And then we just keep repeating that process and turning the intensity up um, until they can't really improve anymore. So basically what we're doing is trying to get those, whatever those weak links are dialed in back with the brain to say, Hey, it's safe for you to do these movements. And we're tapping into muscle that's already there with somebody. It's not, it's not the same adaptation that we would get over like a 12 week hypertrophy program where we're trying to build more tissue and have the body respond by laying down more. The, what we're trying to do is tap into what's already there. So, you know, if you think of each athlete as like a potential reservoir of all this ability, we're trying to get, we're trying to find a way to tap into what that is. So, I mean, a perfect example of somebody coming in that we'd want to work with would be like a bodybuilder that has like all these muscles that are shut down and inhibited. Like the muscles are there and they're huge, but they're just not connected to the brain in some way to, to, to let them work. So, you know, if we're going back to what you said about, I keep forgetting that Charlie Francis. Yeah. The track coach. Yeah. I was going to say yeah. Charlie Murphy from, uh, <laughs> you can say that. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so going back to, to that, like you're, you're, you're finding what that neurological resistance is or whatever that inhibition could be. And then, you know, being able to get it so that, uh, the muscle isn't inhibited and, and shut down and, and just not working. And we're able to do that with, you know, at pretty much every joint in the body. But I mean, big things that we see are, you know, weak links that are, you know, in the lower, lower leg, uh, around the knee, around the hips, around the shoulders. And, you know, an injury can, can end in, an, in a completely different area than where there was initially dysfunction in the body. So it can end at a completely different site than where it starts. You know, like we can see, you know, old issues from somebody's left foot or left knee or left hip that then track into, you know, their shoulder and arm, and then they end up having elbow pain. Uh, or, you know, an elbow surgery that comes up. So we can just track things that are in completely different areas than anywhere else in the body. And we're just looking at whatever those weak links are. But the other thing, and I know you said there's going to be people that don't have access to a newbie or to, you know, any sort of direct current. Um, what's cool is that we've taken people through, and this could be more of a financial thing on their end where, you know, it could be a college kid who's coming in during his Christmas break to train with us. The hotspots that they initially had you know, at the end of four weeks of them really grinding it out with training and doing the ISOs and, and like really, you know, neurologically focused training, they can get rid of those hot spots mm -hmm. and those weak links and those compensations in the same way that somebody who was solely working with the newbie, if not better, just because they were, you know, really getting that repetitive stimulus of like, you know, six, seven mm -hmm. times a week. I mean, a lot of them were training multiple times a day you know, just the training, not with any electricity, not with, not with anything going into them versus the people that were just doing, you know, like four sessions once a week yeah. or, you know, every, so there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can get to the same result. And, you know, the, when chiropractic is thrown into the mix, not plugging it or anything, um, I've just seen that the results are a lot faster and yeah. you can get the same, the same, um, you know, like, uh, neurological, inhibition or, or whatever the term that we're using is a, a lot of that can start to turn off and unwind quicker just from getting chiropractic care. And then the, the training or working with the newbie is just kind of like the glue and like that, that last thing that's going to hold all of it together. So if we're talking holistic, like it's, it's a lot of things working together. Yeah. My, my 
what I'll keep this question really simple is basically if you're using it on yourself and you're um like let's say you're you you mentioned grip test as a really easy way of doing it mm-hmm. but have you also noticed any links between how much resistance is in the muscle like let's say you're doing you know your forearms or whatever or mm-hmm. even shoulders and yeah. noticing a resistance in the muscle and then uh performance related ability like have you noticed anything i'm just curious with that just because it's a little more localized right and i think that's the beauty of the grip is it's a lot more global and very simple and easy yeah. but i'm just curious if you've noticed anything on the local level with any of that stuff uh, yeah i mean we've definitely done sessions with with people on say it's like a, a right shoulder that they have with an injury and you know they walk in the door we do a grip assessment we get them adjusted and then grip goes up 20 percent just from getting adjusted and then we go do a newbie session and their grip goes up another 10 to 15 pounds after even though they're like we just turned it up for yeah. 12 minutes they're like they're pushing it as hard as they can and there's that like okay things feel really good also they feel fatigued because we just mm-hmm. really like worked um but even with that like grip grip can go up you know 20 30 pounds from the time somebody walks in the door and it's what's cool is it's not just like you know a hole in the bucket where it starts pouring out the second mm-hmm. they're gone like it's usually a, a pretty sustained uh change and you know grip like you said fluctuates through you know, readiness throughout the day and it'll be up and down at certain times. Um, but the other thing that's interesting too, is I'll do, you know, sessions of, you know, an hour of training with just doing ISOs and I'll do the grip beginning and I'll do it at the end and it'll be higher at the end, even though I just, what I considered, I just emptied the tank for an hour of training, um, which really tells me, Hey, I've got more. Like I've had times where the grip starts to go down throughout a session. I'm like, all right, I'm done. Or, you know, I'll, do two sets of five bench press heavy just to see, you know, just to get that stimulus. And then the grip goes up 15 pounds. And yeah. I'm like, what the, so there's, there's just different things that kind of get it up. And th- I think the biggest thing for training an athlete is understanding that, you know, our, our time with working with every athlete's finite, you know, we yeah. have, we have a certain window, whether it's, you know, four years that they're at college or, you know, a month on a Christmas break or, you know, summer or just a season. And they have to ultimately be able to take what it is that that we're trying to convey to them and make it their own and then learn how to use it outside of working with us. Um, and then that that's where it kind of come back to what I was saying about a half hour ago, talking about like developing strength, feel, and play. Like they need to mm-hmm. start to dial in that like feel part of like, okay, what what makes me feel like I can go out and play a sport and get on a field and not have to think about my body or think about something that could potentially go wrong because yeah. You know, if you're a golfer and you're thinking about, oh, well, every time I, I, every time I hit the shot and move this way, my back goes, it's like, well, you're not playing golf anymore. You're thinking about your back, right? Like yeah. you're, you're not, you're, you're no longer playing the game. You're no longer lost in whatever that, that competition or that play is. You're, you're thinking about something completely different. So, um, yeah, that, that's just a little piece there. Yeah. That, that actually, uh, what you said got me thinking about, I had written this down right at the beginning of the conversation. So I just have a couple other points I wanted to hit touch on here but one was i i've I've thought this for a while i'm definitely curious on your take i feel like you are someone who's going to be if i had to come up with a quality like i just invented it it's basically the ability to do an iso hole with no external stimulus and take your body to a very very high limit um i don't i i don't like i wouldn't call it like grinder is a bad i don't like that term uh the the ability like call what you want yeah like train maybe maybe um 
I don't know, like deep trainability or like like work, I workability. I don't really know, but like what I'm trying to say here is that like for me, I can get so much more out of like my fingers, my forearms. Like I went, I hadn't been rock climbing in a while, but I went last year, um, and yeah, it'd been about two or three years. And the forearm pump that I was getting was so far beyond because I've done plenty of hangs in that time. Sure. But the pump was so far beyond what I would get just going up and hanging. But I'm thinking, okay, if I had infinite mental strength, like mm-hmm. I should be able to get that stimulus out of just hanging there. But it's it's the stimulus of being on the rock wall. There's a little bit of feeling of danger. You don't want to fall off. It's task-oriented. Like all these outside things. And I love problem solving too. So it's like I, I like a moderate amount of, you know, a reasonable amount of risk taking I like. I like problem solving. So here's an environment that is really stimulating my body to a higher potential than I would get just hanging there. But in working with, I've worked with some, you could call them tough sports, like water polo, uh, swimming, Mm -hmm. like people are successful. Yes, they are gifted. They have to have certain physical gifts. But a lot of the people who are also successful, I feel like in swimming, even more so than some other sports, there is, I, I know people talk about mental toughness in different ways and Yes, there is mental toughness training that does nothing for sure. But there mm-hmm. was an edge to some of those people. Like we would do a hang and some of those people and some of those people who are really good in the pool could hang up there for a really, really long time. Like they're, mm-hmm. they didn't have quit, you could say. It. And, you know, again, I, I think it's a fine line because people abuse conditioning and things like that and sure. make it silliness. But there is like, I do like to think of these, this as, I don't I guess you call it scientific because at least I'm like have a. I have a population and I can see who went exactly this time and I can try to make, you know, this, it's not really, it's not the scientific method, but I'm trying to at least be numerical and, and have a level of quantitative elements with this. And so, yeah, I, I'd just be curious on your take of that. I guess I'd call it like that gap. You know what I'm saying? Like that gap between mm-hmm. the environment stimulating and bringing it out of you. And I think a lot of good athletes are like that, though, to be completely honest. Like yeah, a lot of yeah, really sure, good athletes sure. need the environment to bring it out of them. Yep. But then the value of also being able to go deep into that, like that hang, that lunge, um, that ability. Yeah. Um, I think I've picked this apart before in my head, but you know, you think of, you know, like athletes that rise to the occasion versus athletes that don't. Um, and even just on like a smaller scale, like talking about baseball, there'd be guys that were called five o'clock heroes. So it'd be the guys that were like great in batting practice at five o'clock, but the game starts at seven and they're not playing because they're not good. They're just really good in like the practice and the, the simulated environment. And, you know, there's definitely, um, you know, part of that is, is coming back to like the inner game, right? Like their, you know, inability to get out of their own way and, and they're like getting stuck in their own head with, with certain things and interfering with their own expression. So there's, there's that component of it. But as far as, you know, like what, what allows people to be self-motivated and self-driven and being able to tap into this, you know, really at any time without any external, um, I think that comes down to just kind of having that, either that voice in their head or, or whatever it is that whatever it is in their gut that's telling them like, okay, it's time to go. Um, Whereas some people that comes from within, and like you said, it's not a bad thing that athletes rise to the occasion and have their best performances when there's, you know, 50,000 people watching or, or whatever it is. I think that's a, that's a separate trait and a separate skill. Um, 
So I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer. If, if I could have an athlete, I'd rather have them be good in a game yeah. than in the, yeah, <laughs> in the, the, build, the ability like, to ISO forever. Yeah. And, and those people, they very rarely surprise you as far as normally those guys that are like that or those gals that are like that, you know, you kind of see them and you have a feeling that they're, you know, like a kind of cool and collected and able to, to go express in the arena and, and actually perform when the lights are on yeah. rather than somebody that you, like, you can just tell the difference. And, you know, I, I think, I think you can see that too with, with ISOs. Like it's a, it's a litmus test for that as well. It's, can you keep your shit together when things aren't necessarily <laughs> like yeah. it's designed to not go your way. It's different than like a CrossFit wad or anything like that. That's just trying to, you know, generally fatigue everything like that sucks. Um, but there's, there's a little bit more to it with this and it's not like it's trying to gas you out and take all your breath away and then still have you make tough decisions. It's, it's more realistic to what would be happening in most sports, which is it's going to come down to, can you physically or rather, can you, can you emotionally and psychologically keep it together? Yeah. Um, in in a tough situation, like, and granted, you know, like MMA, other sports Mm -hmm. where you're really tired and like the later rounds or anything like that, that's, that's a different, that's a different beast, but I wouldn't say that they couldn't benefit from this. Yeah. You know, as you're, as you're talking, I I will say the thing that probably set those people apart the most, you know, people could hang a long time or do a lunge a long time was, yeah, it's that they could, but a lot of it was more reading their body and their face once things Mm -hmm. got difficult. Versus sure. people who like couldn't even hang a minute almost every yeah. time with those people, it gets to 45, 50 seconds and their face is contorting and there's this, yeah. you know, it just looks, they're making it look terrible. Even honestly, I would bet you if you took like, um, you know, like, like the example, like the grinder, like the kid who works really hard in the weight room and works really mm-hmm. hard in practice and, you know, the coaches love them and the strength coaches love them, but then they get in the game and they're really herky-jerky and they're just trying to do their one job really right. You know, they're almost putting too much pressure on themselves. Um, and again, everyone's got their role to play. Everyone has their own amount of skill and their abilities and things like that. But I will say that person, if you say, hey, I want you to do like a three, four, five minute lunge, you're probably going to see a lot more strain. Like it's like, it to me, it's more the quality, like how mm-hmm. uh, as well as the ability because it's, it's like it's some in some ways and maybe swimming and water pool is different but it's almost like those people have learned to like their relationship with things that are uncomfortable is a little bit different too and i think that's yeah, also I, I would, yeah i would agree that that's part of the champion mindset you know <laughs> yeah. just being able to you know understand that it's not an immediate thing and you're gonna have to consistently put in those those efforts of, of grinding it out in a certain way to improve skill and improve athleticism and and all that um yeah, so just just to close this out, uh, just a couple other things. One was, um, we don't need to <laughs> go too far into this, but I did like how you mentioned you do your grip uh, testing throughout the workout. I've done that mm-hmm. as well. I find it really interesting like to see how it goes up after the warm-up, but then it might keep going up till the end of the session, but it also might hit its peak and then start going down. And I do like the idea of people say, well, what's the optimal workout time? How long should I work out? And I think it's not going to be just a number. A lot of it is what's in the workout. Is it neurologically stimulating? Have you done too many striving efforts um, that also might carry judgment with them or just too much driving out of your nervous system that puts you over the top, those kind of things. And that's where I've really like having a certain amount of work, but then at the end you have things that are maybe unloading, like you have the isometrics and the breathing at the end that kind of reset things. And 
understanding that value, I think is, I, I just think that's really important for people who talk about, well, how long should my workout be? And then, you know, it kind of looking at the state of the athlete as you go through it, yeah, I think is value, valuable. Um, I'm not too fanatical with the grip stuff. I just usually have one around. So, yeah, I, I will say too, but I will say it's, I do think it's good to not do that. I do. I wouldn't recommend doing that every workout. I just think every now and then just yeah, to get yeah, a yeah. sense, I think is helpful. Sure. That's what's like for me. Like I don't do it every workout. I do it periodically, like maybe once every couple months, I would do it throughout yeah. the workout to kind of get a sense of, okay, where am I throughout this from my total body perspective? And, yeah. and of course, you know, if you have times and weights and if you're timing sure. weights or anything like that, that'll tell you as well. Um, my my sure. planning stuff out as far as my training ebbs and flows, I'll have times where I don't, I don't deviate at all from what's written on the sheet. And then I'll have times where I'm just completely free flowing every single session yeah. um, and just going with what I feel. So um, there's no right or wrong. I wouldn't necessarily say people should start with that yeah. um, just because I think there is benefit to, you know, sticking to a plan for a certain amount of time and just seeing yeah. what, what it is that, that changes within you from sticking to that. And some of it can be the, you know, the effects of just feeling disciplined. Um, but, you know, there. I'll, by and large, most training programs are going to have positive adaptations that your body's going to start to make from them. Um, are those necessarily like long-term sustainable adaptations that you want to make? I mean, maybe I've seen a lot that haven't. And ultimately that's, what's kind of driven me over to doing, you know, a pretty, pretty heavy load of ISOs with everything. Mm -hmm. You know, you just kind of like what you said, you feel better after, um, you feel better the next day. Um, as far as like something within a season for an athlete, especially a sport like baseball, where you're playing, you know, a lot of games pretty much every day, um, for, you know, a long stretch of time, it's something that's not going to leave you crazy sore. Um, it's something that, you know, you should be able to boost recovery and, and keep things at a, a really high level and keep things sharp. And then you can get in and get out. Like you can hit a full, you know, session with, with, I like this morning I hit three minute push up and then some drops and then a uh, three minute lunge and some drops and then five minute hang. And, you know, I felt ready to go. Yeah. You're hitting those, those pulls too. The, uh, you got the long hold and then the quick explosive stuff. Yeah. Right. And ideally you'd be landing and pulling and dropping into the same position that you were in during the hold, you know? Yeah. But I mean, can you hit a perfect like bottom position of a lunge? when you're already hitting like a really low lunge to begin with, like, I don't know, yeah. I'm not trying to separate my hips and like, <laughs> yeah. you know, like collapse in my front yard at seven 30 in the morning. Yeah. So, um, th there's, there's restraint and it's whatever, whatever each individual person's expression is with it, you know, like it changes for somebody who's a teenager versus somebody who's, you know, in their fifties and sixties, just because of, you know, tissue type and, and different things like that. Yeah. Also, one other thing I'd say with the ISOs is the only, the only one I would recommend for any kids under the age of like 12 or 13 would be hanging just because the other ones are, there's a intellectual component of it too, that, you know, you've got to, it just, it can get a little boring for them. Yeah. You know? Um, hanging, like I, I have, I have a, a client, um, who is in Indiana and his kid, I think his kid is five and hangs for over four minutes. I think it could be five. Wow. Um, that's amazing. And he's like, he's like, yeah, we had to switch it up cause he's beating me like every time. So, um, and he's got another son who hangs for, I don't know, like a minute trying to get to like a minute 30. So it's just interesting. Cause we're talking about like how to help his, his kid learn 
how to like slow his breathing down and kind of fight through that, uh, you know, uncomfortable phase of it, of just like, Hey, you know, you're okay. You're safe. Like dad's not going to let you fall. We're here. Like you just, just breathe through your nose and we'll just get two big breaths and we'll get to that minute 30. Um, and also the psychological part of it gets tougher when you're closer to the finish line. Like that whole thing applies to like, we're talking about playing with the ISOs, like just take the finish line away. Like don't look at the time at all and just go or, and, and then compare that to go and try to do it again. Say you got three minutes of something. Look at how difficult it starts to get at two minutes when you know you've got a minute to go. Yeah. You know, like it, it just changes so much. And, you know, the Roger Bannister four minute mile, like that whole thing. Like once you know that something's possible and you can do it, everybody starts to, you know, I'm sure people could listen to this and blow the five minute hang time out of the water just because they know it's possible. Yeah. Um, closing out, just, um, general population and then athletes mm-hmm. if you had three key isos and how long would you like to see people do them for so like let's start general population three key isos what's kind of like an a level standard or a basic standard that you like to see and then if mm-hmm. you took that over to athletes what would you do what would you like to see so general population i i'd go straight leg raise so just standing straight leg raise so one leg on the ground single leg balance other leg would be pulled up in front of you um three plus minutes so most people just like glute dysfunction glute and lower leg and that's just going to tie a lot of that together um so i'd go straight leg raise i'd go lunge so bottom position of a lunge two plus minutes um and then i'd go hang for 90 plus seconds so i'd go with those three keeps it as as simple and straight down the middle as possible yeah for athletes and then so 90 ath- seconds yeah. for gen pop then what for yeah athletes athletes triple, i would go <laughs> triple the time I'd go, yeah i'd go it's just kind of one of those like everybody should be able to do the same thing and then if you play a sport great you can you have to do that and more right like to to play to be an athlete you need to be able to do a big diverse group of things and then to play baseball you have other adaptations that you need to make on top of that mm-hmm to you know be a golfer you have different ones so with that for just like general athletes you know, i've tried like lowering the standards so more people can make it but then that becomes the same problem that we've had just culturally in america with well kids aren't meeting mm-hmm. the standards anymore let's lower them uh, i don't think that's necessarily the right answer so if we're looking at, at isos i would keep it as simple as lunge push-up hang and then go lunge three plus minutes push up um for men, two and a half minutes. For females, two minutes. And then hang would be uh, anywhere from 90 seconds to two minutes. Um, I would say like an offensive lineman, you know, a, a two-minute hang for an offensive lineman is significantly tougher than a two-minute hang for, I don't know, the kicker. So let's just say, let's use discernment with like just somebody's frame coming into it. But yeah, lunge three plus minutes, push up two and a half, to, two to two and a half, um, depending on gender. And then hang minute and a half to two minutes depending on just frame but i've seen some big i've seen some 250 plus guys hang over two minutes so maybe i'll take that back yeah that's impressive yeah it's all relative to your body weight right like that's that's what levels the playing field with the isos so um, yeah i've I've heard of a test for throwers somewhere i don't know why this was a test for throwers but maybe it had something to do with you know just the different levels of what we're talking about it's like 
Something like you hang for a minute and then do a few pull-ups and then hang for another minute and do a few pull-ups. And that was like a test. So I'm like, that's the thrower. I like why? Anyways, yeah. I was just thinking of the, the, the larger individuals who were able to do that. But there is maybe there is like that level of just like drive that comes with that too or what whatnot. So it's not specific to throwing at all, but. Uh, yeah. Well, I saw like the equation to throw 90 miles an hour once and it was like, you have to do, I think a chin up at 250 pound body weight. So for me, that's adding a hundred pounds onto my, you know, like a weighted vest plus a weight mm-hmm. belt to add a hundred pounds on. It just, I don't know. It just gives you different perspective on how hard a pull up would be for somebody who weighs that much um, or a chin up rather. And then I think another thing was like bench 250 for one rep. So just these numbers that I was like, I, I wonder what the validity of this is, but at the same time, well, maybe I should just try to do it to see if I can throw 90. Yeah. It'd be a weird thing to start doing now, but. Yeah. 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 It's always interesting to gain that perspective. Uh, Alex, where do people find more about you? Where can they learn more about what you're up to and uh, where to learn more about what you're talking about today? Uh, on, uh, on the gram. I'm on Instagram uh, at Lee, And then my practice is Circadian Chiropractic and Sport I'm in Sarasota, Florida. Uh, it's at Circadian SRQ on Instagram. Um, have a website that I've been building out for, I don't know, eight or 10 years now. So uh, <laughs> nothing, nothing to... Uh, too urgent on that front i don't think that was initially how you found me you found me through a blog that i had that i wrote during chiropractic class standing in the back of a room and i remember i'd get like you know 10 views on every post and then i got an email from you said you were a a coach at cal berkeley i thought it was like a prank email from somebody in one of my classes and then reached out and a couple weeks later i was up up at the gym with you guys uh actually impressed seeing division one athletes doing doing some of the isos and, and the holds and everything so um, yeah, that, that was, that was a cool moment for me to, to start to see somebody being able to piece something together that I think is so fundamental and simple, um, and actually take it to, to division one athletes. And, uh, obviously things have come a long way in the last five or six years since then, cause I think it's a little bit more accepted and more mainstream. Um, also see some people doing it in a way that I didn't necessarily think would be the, you know, air quotes, correct way to do it. But, um, I think you're doing a really good job with, with giving people a platform to, to talk and share ideas that aren't necessarily part of the the mainstream and the, the generally accepted uh, ways to go about it. So hats off to you with that, man. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, man. Well, hey, thanks again for your time, Alex. It was great talking. Of course. Thanks, Joel. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next week.